Welcome to Questions About Heaven, a podcast about giving Bible answers to our questions about the afterlife with God. Each week we seek to answer real-life questions with biblical answers about the life beyond this world. Now, here's your host, Brad Zockel. Good day to you, my friends. You're listening to the Questions About Heaven podcast, and in this edition, we're continuing in our walk through the book of Revelation. We are now in Revelation chapter 11, and as I told you, this is the chapter on the two witnesses. And as we're talking about that, we're talking about the apocalyptic literature, which tells you of God's judgment on earth. That started in Revelation chapter 9, continues all the way through Revelation chapter 19 of God's wrath upon the earth. And in this, we see that Jesus, the true Jesus, this is what the revelation is. It's about Jesus Christ. It's not the revelation of John. It's not the revelation about nuclear holocaust. It's not the revelation about uh, uh, where we are going to be and what our mansion would look like if there was indeed a mansion or anything like that. This is the revealing of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ himself. In this, we're walking through the timeline in what it's called eschatology. There's a Greek word meaning the end times, the end, and that's eschatos. And so the uh, term eschatology is the study of the end times. And so there's a little collegiate word there to help you understand what we're doing. We're walking through. We see during this time, There is a judgment by God on the earth called the tribulation. The Greek word is thlipsis, and it means the pressure, and there's a great pressure here. In the midst of all of this, we see that the Antichrist, this representative from the satanic realm, a demon-infused person, is uh, leading the godless world. The Holy Spirit has been restrained. Within this time, we have walked up into Revelation chapter 11, in which you might use the vernacular, there is hell on earth. During the course of this time, God is going to introduce two more representatives of mercy. Now, you saw in Revelation chapter 7 that there is the introduction of 144,000 missionaries, 12 tribes of 12,000 Jewish celibate missionaries who are going out. They are reaching people. They are sealed by God for protection from both the friendly fire of his wrath and also the wiles and the attacks of the satanic realm. We now see in Revelation chapter 11, in the midst of some of the great blasphemies against God in the holy city, there's the introduction of two witnesses. I'm going to reread Revelation chapter 11, this opening part, and then give you something here to help us get started on this understanding. John is told, then there was given me a measuring rod like a staff, and someone said, get up and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship in it. Leave out the court which is outside the temple and do not measure it, for it's been given to the nations. In other words, God is saying, I'm claiming territory on my precious uh, uh, people within the temple and the temple itself. Outside, in my sovereign will, I have allowed this to be used by those who would go against me. They can have the run of the that outside there. They will tread underfoot the holy city for 42 months, which is three and a half years. We talked about that 
the midpoint of the seven-year judgment. And I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1260 days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. Now, it says that the temple is going to have this attack. There's going to be on this temple, there's going to be uh, an attack, an attempt to downplay. And then, of course, we've already talked about this in Daniel 9, Daniel chapter 11, Daniel chapter 12, the abomination of desolation, which the Antichrist, as we talked about before, will want himself to be worshipped. Now, the temple has to be there in order for this to happen. And there is not a temple right now. But there's something very, very curious going on, as we have talked about this before, that there is talk that we are seeing right now about a temple. There are those that are talking about up, uh, taking the temple and rebuilding the temple. I am reading from the jewishvoice.org website, and it literally is titled The Update on the Building of the Third Temple by Dr. Randall Price. And I'm going to read some a little bit, a minute or two here, and let you see what is going on about the concerted effort to rebuild the third temple. And I quote, this is uh, the words of Dr. Price in this article. Those who believe scripture contains a literal fulfillment of the biblical covenants for the Jewish people and in the land of Israel recognize rebuilding the temple is part of this promised future. In Jeremiah's presentation of the new covenant for Israel, we read, and then he quotes Jeremiah 33. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good word which I have spoken concerning the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time I will cause the righteous branch of David to spring forth, and he shall execute justice and righteousness on the earth. In those days Judah shall be saved, and Jerusalem shall dwell in safety. And this is the name by which she shall be called. Yahweh is our righteousness. For thus, thus says Yahweh, David shall never lack a man to sit in the throne of the house of Israel, and the Levitical priest shall never lack a man before me to offer burnt offerings, to burn grain offerings, and to prepare sacrifices continually. And that's the passage in Jeremiah 33, verses 14 through 18. And what he goes to say is the passage speaks about the Messianic age when all Israel will be saved and restored to the land of Israel. At that time, a righteous descendant of David, the Messiah, will sit on the throne in Jerusalem, and the temple will again stand complete with its Levitical priesthood. And then it says, I'm skipping down, since 1987, when the temple movement, that's capital T, capital M, began preparations for the rebuilding of the third temple, efforts to see this became a reality in the 21st century have been slowly progressing. While modern Israel and a large percentage of the Jewish people throughout the diaspora, that's the dispersal of them, are secular, Orthodox Jews do not believe these people will play a role in the rebuilding of the temple since it is a spiritual work. It is Orthodox Jews who revived the Sanhedrin, the religious body that supervised the legal issues related to the temple and who intend to see it rebuilt in a proper way. It goes on to talk about the steps they have taken in here in making it go. And as I look down here 
then I see that there is uh, a talk about Rabbi Richmond, for example, who's a member of this newfound Sanhedrin, has been heading a project, and I'm reading this still, a project to restore the sacred red heifer to Israel. According to Numbers 19, the ashes of the red heifer mixed with water are a necessary element for purifying Jews to enable them to do service in the temple. And then we go down here and we see uh, the reenactment of the temple ceremonies for training and such. And what they're saying is, we will rebuild the temple. Could this be then the temple that we are uh, talking about here that would be desecrated or the attempts against it? No, one doesn't know. But the fact is that there is an attempt to build a temple uh, that would be, uh, make it that we would be able to see the possibility of this temple involved in these apocalyptic times and in this literature known as the book of Revelation here. So when we looked at this, going back down, I'm going to move back down into the the two witnesses. They were called the uh, two olive trees and the two lampstands. And as we said, that is uh, referring to the witnesses when we look in Zechariah chapter 4. I believe in the last podcast I said Zechariah 2, and I apologize for that. Zechariah chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, and the, the uh, prophecy, it's, talked about, it's talking about Zechariah's olive trees and oil lamps. And this is a vision that is given to the prophet Zechariah. And he said to me, what do you see? And I said, I have looked and behold a candlestick, all of gold, with a bowl upon the top of it and his seven lamps thereon and seven pipes to the seven lamps, which are upon the top thereon, and two olive trees by it, one upon the right side of the bowl and the other upon the left side. Then you go to chapter 4 and verse 14. Then he said, These are the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the whole earth. And we're seeing this. The oil lamps that we're looking at here, they're not candles that someone might say, these are type of the lamps that we see throughout the the different displays. Or if you go to a museum, an, uh, a Holy Land museum, you'll see these Aladdin type of small oil lamps with wicks in them. Okay, so when you you are picturing this in your mind, in Zechariah you're seeing this. These oil lamps are receiving their oil filled directly from olive trees. They're putting them right in there. Now, what we're seeing then is the Lord is taking care of the sustenance needed for these two witnesses. God is giving them this power. Anytime we see oil in the Bible, the oil of the olive, it is representing the Holy Spirit. And so we're saying that here, that they're receiving the Holy Spirit power to be able to give the message of repentance. They have power here to shut heaven. They have power over waters to turn them to blood, to strike the earth with different plagues as often as they desire. Now, if you can recall, this also is referred to, Elijah did this. Elijah was able to pray against this. We talked about this in our last podcast. Pray against the land. And it did not rain for three and a half years. You look over in Moses' account, uh, the account of Moses' judgments against Pharaoh in Exodus, and you can find that in chapter 7, and then moving on through into chapter 12, and the same thing. 
there were these plagues that struck all over Egypt, and it's saying that they have it as well here too. Now what happens is, when they finish their testimony, when God has finished, the Antichrist, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit, will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Then those from the people's tribes, tongues, and nations, that phrase, people's tribes, tongues, and nations, is used very many times to represent worldwide significance, massive uh, uh, population numbers. Then those people from the people's tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days. You see, three and a half keeps coming up again and again and again and will not allow their dead bodies to be put into graves. So in a sickly response to the representatives of Yahweh, they're going to let people watch their bodies rot. And those that dwell on the earth will rejoice over them, make merry and send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. They are so anti-Christ. They are so against the Lord that there is a mock Christmas. People will exchange gifts with one another in celebration, not of the birth of Christ, but the death of Christ's followers. Make war with them. Now, when we see this, we can say that this would either be the Antichrist coming out of the pit, this could indeed be Satan himself in this, but it's the satanic powers that have the victory and the, uh, the ending of the physical lives of these two witnesses. And as I said before, there's a lot of speculation over who these two witnesses is, uh, would be, the, who these two witnesses are. But suffice it to say, it's the message more than the messengers. And let's stay with that. It's what happens and how God has given glory in this. You see, the whole thing here is not, oh, let's look at this very exciting thing about these two who appear to be like supermen. No, this is not it. If we miss the main message that God is in charge, God is sovereign, God will not be mocked, but he is going to show his power, then we get the idea of this. These are all movements within God's uh, eternal, uh, his, his plan and everything that's going on. Remember what we said, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. Jesus died according to scriptures. That means according to plan, okay? That's the scriptures laid out the plan. Then he rose again, was resurrected according to plan, according to the scriptures, okay? And everything here is according to plan. And that's just like with you and me in our lives. We're not to worry about what we can't do. Second Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 12 says, we're just accountable for what has been in, put in front of us. And the plan is for us, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, is to be faithful over what we have here. Now, their dead bodies are going to lie in the street of the great city, which is speaking of, it is called Sodom. Well, you know when we refer to Sodom, and we know how horrible that was, so you're talking about this uh, gross sin. So there is giving you an idea here of how bad the holy city has been because of the rebellion that's going on. And then we talk about Egypt here. Well, then you're also talking about one who would do anything to stop God's children. One who would do, the, the representative here is those of the city would stop. If it is slavery, it's, if it is dominance, uh, that might be giving you the idea of there as well. 
Now, in this, when we see this, there's going to be this mass rejoicing through the ability of internet and uh, the uh, satellite systems and such, whatever the technology would be at that time, virtually everybody in earth can see what's going on. They could tune in on their devices, whether you would say in today's parlance, uh, phones, TVs, uh, maybe live feeds on uh, uh, different boards, electronic boards throughout different uh, metropolitan areas uh, and all. People are are aware of this worldwide event going on and they are seeing it live, if you want to use the term live streaming right now. This is very curious. Whenever I was in uh, elementary school and sitting in country churches, the pastors were kind of straining, trying to explain how the whole world could see things at once, because really the most active thing we could uh, know of would be by radio, which wouldn't reach to all areas, or, or newspaper. And so they're stretching how people could see this television didn't have the reach anywhere near. But now, I don't think there's anybody that would have a problem knowing that we could see something happening in uh, Russia or Pakistan or Hawaii or virtually the Antarctica. You know, you can see right now, you can go online and see and watch the Western, the Wailing Walls, as some people will call it, right now live. You can see whatever's going on there. You can see it right now. And in this same case, you can see things that are going on. After three and a half days, the breath of life from God enters into these two, and they stood on their feet, I'm reading in verse 11, and great fear fell on those who saw them. These ones are resurrected in front of the whole world, and they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here, and they ascended to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies saw them. Now, there are going to be some people that are saying, this is CGI, this is fake, what we're seeing, and they're not believing it, but watch what happens To verify this, in the same hour, there was a great earthquake, mega is the Greek word, and a tenth of the city fell. In the earthquake, 7,000 people were killed and the rest were afraid and gave glory to the God of heaven. This does not mean they got saved. This is saying that they recognized this uh, is of the God of heaven. The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. So what happens is they... When they stand on their feet, it's more than just an animation. There's a heavenly call. God calls them home, and by his voice, just as the power of Jesus to the demoniacs in telling the demons come out of him, by his word, they come out. By his word in uh, the uh, apocalyptic narration of Revelation 19, in Armageddon, by his word, the enemies are slaughtered, and also by the word of God in creation, God calls them home, and they ascend in a cloud, reminiscent of Jesus ascending in uh, Acts chapter 1, and the believers in Christ going in the harpazo, the Greek word for rapture, in, uh, we also read that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and by Jesus' own words. In John chapter 14, the invitation here. Now, when we take a look at this, then we see this incredible, incredible event going on. And I'm going to continue on in our next part here because I see him out of time. What a wonderful thing for us to see in these. And you say, what could be wonderful about the assassination 
of these two, the resurrection of those two by the Lord. Remember, in giving the glory to God, we see in his sovereign plan, we can see that he is good, he is powerful, and his ways will be obeyed, followed, and even enjoyed. Just as we have the promise of heaven, we can also see the satisfaction of his justice. This is Brad Zockel. I appreciate so much that you've been listening, you've been following this. I hope you've been taking notes, or if you're traveling in the car, or if you're at work and you're hearing this in your uh, a time that you're able, that you might be able to take these things, rewind this, listen to it again, learn these things, and be in prayer for us. The ministry uh, of the Heaven Tour, as I'm talking about heaven, and also the uh, Book of Revelation, as I'm able to teach this to uh, friends all over the world, then I ask for your help in this. We're still working on the recording studio, and if you are able to help us out, please go over to Zulon.org. Any amount would help us right now as we're putting up the final sheetrock. We need to pay for acoustical tile to get all of the, uh, the equipment in there. Right now, as I'm talking to you in this magnificent uh, passage here, I'm actually in, in our house, in our farmhouse right now doing this. And so we'd like to move everything over to our permanent facilities. We just need your help. So if you could, you could help us uh, in this or help me as I travel around and meet at different Heaven is Home conferences. I'll be going to my fourth Heaven is Home conference this coming week. And uh, the expenses are many. And sometimes some assemblies cannot afford to handle those things. And uh, we don't uh, give them an upfront charge. We just want the opportunity. So if you're able to help me, that is greatly appreciated. We are 501c3. We are a tax, a nonprofit uh, corporation. And so you are able to get a tax write-off for your contributions. Thank you so much. This is Brad Zockel. I appreciate you so very, very much. God bless you. And Lord willing, we'll talk soon. Thanks for joining us this week on Questions About Heaven with Brad Zockel of the Zulon International Bible Institute. Be sure to visit our website, zulon.org, to learn more about our Bible ministry. That's xulon.org. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. And keep an eye out for our upcoming ebook, Questions About Heaven. Thanks, God bless you, and have a great day.